Football Live is presented by Dr. Pepper. College Football Live out of the tunnel. Saturday's Oklahoma-West Virginia game has been canceled. This due to COVID-19 cases within the Mountaineers program. Oklahoma has already secured a berth in the Big 12 championship game. The fallout continues, though, from the Big Ten's decision to change its policy that teams must play six games. This in order to be eligible for the conference championship game. That means Ohio State will face Northwestern on December 19th now that they have amended the rule. We are off and running here on College Football Live. Tom Lugenbill joins me now. And Tom, look, again, I said this yesterday, not a huge surprise. We've seen everybody be flexible and make changes. But even so, what's your reaction to the Big Ten making this adjustment, one that will certainly benefit not only Ohio State, but the conference as a whole? Well, I have mixed feelings about it, and I think the reality of the situation is, is whether they were to play Northwestern next week or play Iowa, and they end up 6-0. and What's the difference? Well, here's the difference. The Big Ten became scared to death that if they didn't have that Big Ten championship label next to their name, that it could potentially hurt them. They're already sitting there at number four. We've seen Cincinnati, Florida, A&M knocking on the door and felt it was really, really important as a conference that their flagship program have that label next to its name. But when I say I have mixed feelings, you know, this isn't Ohio State's fault. You know, Ohio State, actually, when the Big Ten made the decision not to play, deserves a lot of credit for screaming to the rooftops. Ryan Day, Justin Fields, getting parents and fans in an uproar. And I think they deserve a lot of credit for the Big Ten actually deciding to play. But my issue is with the Big Ten, the lack of leadership, the poor decision-making. And then when you decide to play, we said it right here on this program on the day they made the announcement, they created protocols that were impossible for the teams to be able to adhere to and get through without any makeup dates and a 21-day quarantine. And so part of me wants to say, you know what, Big Ten? You made your bed, now you got to lie in it, and you don't get the opportunity to compete for a championship. That's not fair to Ohio State, and it's not Ohio State's fault. So I'm glad to see the best team is actually going to be in the Big Ten championship game. Yeah, it's a double-edged sword. I don't think there's any arguing it's the best team to play in the Big Ten Championship. We should also note that any conference that is able to get a team into the college football playoff semifinals benefits financially. It's a $6 million payout. Let me ask you this, because that's the ultimate goal here for the Buckeyes, rightly so. uh, They do stack up with the other top teams in the nation. How well do they stack up, Tom, in your estimation? I think offensively stack up very, very well with their weapons, a dynamic quarterback in Justin Fields, a power run game, a quarterback run game, and tremendous weapons downfield. I do think that they've got some holes on defense. They've had to restructure a little bit, lost a lot of NFL talent that was impactful from the last couple of years off of that football team. And the reality is they will have played close to maybe a little over half the games that their competitors will have played. The opponents and the records of those opponents outside of Indiana – has not been overly strong. In my personal personal opinion, I think if Florida or Clemson or Notre Dame and Ohio State played now, I don't know if Ohio State would be the best team in any of those matchups. So this is why they felt it's important to have that label next to their name. So listen, I, I want to see them get back on the field. Uh, I want everybody to be at their, their full strength and healthy so that we can get the best performance out of the teams that are being considered. 
Again, Ohio State set to face Northwestern for a Big Ten championship. That game will be played on Saturday, December 19th. Let's take a look now at our Dr. Pepper one final team vote. A look here, the fourth and final CFP ranking spots. Ohio State wins it with 45% of the vote, followed by Florida, Texas A&M, and then Ohio State. We switch gears now to the ACC that they announced on Wednesday they will allow limited fans to their conference championship game between number two Notre Dame and number three Clemson. This is a rematch also played on December 19th. And due to state guidelines, the capacity will be set for just over 5,000 fans, 5240 at Charlotte's Bank of America Stadium. So we'll take a look at the tail of the tape. Again, for the rematch between Notre Dame and Clemson, it was the Irish who took the first one. It's the ACC's best defense against its best offense. The Irish allowing only 117 points per game this year, or 17, I should say. 117 would be notable. But Clemson offense has been firing on all cylinders, putting up over 500 yards per game. Tom, what's the deciding factor in this game? We know, look, it's extremely difficult to beat a team Twice in one season, Trevor Lawrence didn't play in that first game, but it really wasn't the quarterback play that made the difference. So what's the deciding factor in this one? Well, for me, it's going to be the Clemson defense getting back to full health. I think Tyler Davis in the middle of that defense to anchor against the run in the trenches versus arguably one of the best, if not the best offensive lines in college football, Notre Dame. That's one. Number two. Two things have to happen for Clemson on defense. You cannot give up explosive plays through the air, and they are somehow going to have to have a better plan this time around for Ian Book's legs. They were not able to contain the athleticism of Ian Book. He created plays on his own. He was able to escape the pocket. He got out on the perimeter, and Clemson didn't necessarily have an answer. So those two things have got to change. And listen, I, I really feel that as good of a football team as Notre Dame is, and since that win, by the way, they have just ascended. They've been outstanding. But I think top to bottom, Clemson probably has a better overall roster. So what that means is you're going to have to have a great effort out of Notre Dame. And Clemson, like they did the first time, will probably have to help Notre Dame a little bit. Turnovers, things that maybe are uncharacteristic of their nature. So this is going to be a heck of a football game. It's the one everybody has, has waited to see and everybody's talked about. But Boy, I tell you what, anybody who thinks it's a gimme because players are going to be back for Clemson, I think you're sorely mistaken. Yeah, I don't think, I don't think it's a gimme, not by a long shot. If you had to play take your pick, would you take that Irish defense or the Clemson offense, Tom? You know, right now I would take the Clemson offense uh, because of the experience level and some of the things that maybe they're willing to do scheme-wise wise with Trevor Lawrence that may be on the road with a true freshman quarterback. Maybe you tapered back a little bit with DJ. It seems like when you have Trevor Lawrence in the lineup, all of a sudden things become better for Travis Etienne. And to me, that, that, that's a big deal. And, and I probably go with that and the returned health along the front and the front seven for Clemson is a slight edge. So many things on the line on that Saturday. Again, these conference championships set for December 19th. Lukes, thank you. Uh, when College Football Live continues, we'll revisit Archie Manning's history, how his roots have helped shape not only his own future, but the first family of football. Wright Thompson joins us coming up. College Football Live is presented by Dr. Pepper, the official drink of Fansville.
Welcome back to College Football Live, presented by Dr. Pepper. This season's pretty different. I said, wow. But the tradition remains the same. Every Saturday, 9 a.m. Well, you all know Archie Manning as the patriarch, as the first family of football. Archie and son Eli Manning starred at Ole Miss. Peyton, a legend at Tennessee. All three were top two overall draft picks and then went on to great success in the NFL. And now with Archie setting until his eighth decade, these dominant genes are at it again. Here's Wright Thompson. Arch Manning is a highly touted quarterback prospect out of Isadora Newman School in uptown New Orleans. Arch throws to the end zone. It's caught! He shares a name with his grandfather, who is having the strange experience of remembering his past while seeing the future unfold. The more you watch this fellow from Drew, Mississippi, Archie Manning, the more you realize that he's the master of the football. See, Archie Manning was a senior in college 50 years ago this fall. Archie first entered the public imagination when he accounted for 540 yards of total offense and a loss to Alabama in the fall of 1969. In his 71 years, he's lived every stage of a football life. He's been an unknown fighting for a job, a folk hero who inspired literal radio ballads, a Sugar Bowl champion, a New Orleans saint, the father of two future Hall of Fame quarterbacks, and now he's back where he began on Friday night. Except this time, instead of running under the halogen lights of Drew High School, he is sitting in the stands surrounded by his family watching the future unfold before his eyes. Into the end zone, Arch Manning delivers again. Long ago, he let go of his own glory to support his children. And that choice has given him this gift of a third act, a man eager to read instead of write to find his joy not in what he did a long time ago on faraway fields, but in what he has passed down to those whose turn on the field is now. And with much more on his Archie Manning profile, you can find it on ESPN Plus. Wright Thompson joins us now. And Wright, what makes this even more interesting, of course, is that you grew up in Clarksdale, Mississippi, just a few minutes down the road from Oxford. And so you grew up with the legend of Archie Manning. What was that like? You know, my dad and his friends, sort of like I would trade Grateful Dead bootlegs, they had old cassette tapes of uh, radio calls from old Archie games. So, like, I grew up in the house. Uh, oh, there I am right now. Good Lord, I cannot believe that picture is on television. The, Look uh, at you, a cute I, I, little Wright Thompson. Oh, it's killing me, Wendy. The, uh, so I grew up listening to these old radio calls. <laughs> uh, it's pretty funny. I 
right, you've also gotten, though, over the years, uh, you know, as, as not only as an adult, but also as a talented writer, uh, to know Archie well, to follow this family. So what have you learned? You know, what's, what's that process like? You know, it's interesting because you grow up with the legend and, you know, we have these jobs. So, you enter, you know, you first know the myth of someone and uh, having gotten to know the actual Archie Manning uh, has been a real privilege. I mean, this is a guy who uh, uh, for 51 years has lived in public. And uh, I think if you asked him what he tries to do every day, it's he tries to be as best as he can the person that people expect him to be. And that's a lot to bear up. And uh, uh, he does it really, really well. We see him around town all the time, uh, Archie and Olivia. It's almost like one word, just Archie and Olivia, like they're one being. And uh, so it's been, it's been really cool to get to know the actual uh, person and his family. Yeah, and you know what's even more fascinating is that some would argue that his grandson, Art, is going to be as talented, if not more so, than any Manning to play the game. And I know you go into that in this article, so we can find it on ESPN Plus, right? Look forward to it. And uh, listen, a new dad you are, so get some sleep in the meantime, all right, my friend? What sleep? <laughs> yeah, don't, don't worry, you won't know anytime soon. We'll talk soon, though. Uh, still to come on College Football Live, it's an ACC showdown with New Year Six implications. We'll talk about how Saturday's UNC-Miami matchup may be decided. College Football Live is presented by Dr. Pepper, the official drink of Fansville. Four teams, two semifinals, New Year's Day. The college football playoff lives on ESPN. We take a look at our Dr. Pepper Championship Drive Game of the Week preview. LSU will face Heisman frontrunner Kyle Trask, who is averaging 360 pass shorts per game, the most among Power 5 teams. Trask, as a matter of fact, could make Florida history in this week's game against LSU. He's thrown for three or more touchdowns in every single game this season, and he needs just two touchdown passes to break Florida's single-season record. We say hello to now to former Florida State quarterback E.J. Manuel uh, joining us for the first time on College Football Live, and this is a perfect opportunity because, Luke, you played quarterback as well. So I'm going to ask both of you to rank the top five collegiate quarterbacks right now, and I don't mean necessarily their pro potential, but the way they're playing the college game right now. EJ, we'll start with you. Well, Wendy, I got to start out with Trevor Lawrence. I know, uh, obviously, he was out with COVID. He didn't get a chance to play a lot of those games, and I think that hurt him as far as Heisman race, but I feel still think he's playing at an amazing clip. Uh, 85.2 QBR right there. And then my second, Justin Fields, uh, another short sample size, but I think he's a great quarterback. You see him doing a great job leading his team, even during the uh, adversity they saw versus Indiana. Still made enough plays and redeemed himself for those interceptions. Mac Jones is an extremely great quarterback. I love his footwork. I think one of the best things about this guy is his footwork, and it leads to his accuracy, as you're going to see right here. You're going to have a regular play-action pass, concise footwork, and vision. Look, he's already ready to throw the football before the receiver even comes out of his break. That's a seven-step timing route. He does a great job throwing a, uh, a seam right there on a, a dig route. Now, this next play, you're going to see the man-to-man -man spray, right, spray route down here at the bottom of Devontae Smith. Jones does a great job of holding the safety, and then he locates the receiver. 
gets it up and down in a great short space. And look, I mean, anytime you get Devontae Smith on a DB, you got you to gotta light up and give that guy an opportunity to make a play. Now, this is my favorite play of him all season. He does a great job moving up in the pocket. He doesn't rattle. He doesn't get too scared. He just does a great job of moving up and drops another dime for a touchdown to Alabama. So to me, he's probably the most improved player in, in all of college football. I think when he had a chance to sit behind Jalen Hurts, Tua, that really helped him get prepared for the moment that he's in right now. And then, you know, finishing it out, Kyle Trask at four, Ian Book. I think Kyle Trask is another great story. Set behind Felipe Franks, had his opportunity and doing a great job. And then Ian Book, uh, the most winning quarterback of all time at Notre Dame in that story program. So all five of these guys, I want to put Zach Wilson in there, but I couldn't. But this is my top five. And then <laughs> as you look at Ian Book and the way that he's able to run. I got, I got to tell you, EJ. All right, I said, well I, done, EJ Lukes. Yeah, I, and I got a qualifier. I, I went strictly upside here. Guys that I think two to three years from now are still not even going to be scratching the ceiling. So let's start off with Trevor Lawrence. You mentioned him. What else can you say? I mean, this is a guy that was 190 pounds at six foot five coming out of high school and still has growth potential physically. The acumen and the aptitude, we've all seen it before. But for me, Zach Wilson does some things at BYU that you can't coach. The way he gets rid of the football, his ability to change arm angles, and he has done all of this and he's not been at a dink-and-dunk offense. He's been an offense that has required difficult throws under difficult circumstances, and I think he's just got a riverboat gambler to him that you, you want to have uh, at the position. Justin Fields continues to get better, continues to grow as a passer. We know all the athletic traits are there. Want to continue to see him quicken up his delivery, and I think he can do that. He's already improved his anticipation from last year to this year uh, tremendously. And when you keep going down the list, again, I think Keaton Slovis started off the season very poorly, to be honest with you. Really bounced back, though. Uh, in their most recent win. And he might have the purest delivery of any quarterback playing in college football in terms of the effortless ability to get rid of the ball. I think his ceiling is phenomenal. And then this last one, we forget that at Oklahoma, Jalen Hurts, Baker Mayfield, Kyler Murray, they were upperclassmen. They'd played a lot of football. They'd been around. They'd been in big games. Spencer Rattler's a redshirt freshman. We've got to remember that and understand that each and every week he's gotten better and better and better. Since Lincoln Riley benched him for a couple series against Texas, he has been phenomenal. I think he's going to be a great player, and I'm going to give you a bonus number six, EJ. Matt Corral at Ole Miss. This is a guy that because Ole Miss is so poor on defense, maybe Wait the record's not there. Wait a minute. He's a dude. <laughs> I'm just telling you, he is a dude. Sky's the <laughs> limit for him under Lane Kiffin. Yeah, Tom, I agree. I think uh, you got to throw Zach Wilson in there. All right, we didn't let EJ the take six. <laughs> he can take six. <laughs> yeah, I'll take six. <laughs> Go ahead, Wendy. All right, fellas. Uh, job well done. When you, when you look at it like that, the fu future is bright. There's no question about that. Let's talk a little bit about what's at stake Saturday in the ACC on ABC and the ESPN app. Derek King, number 10 Miami, play host to Sam Howell and North Carolina. That's a 3.30 Eastern, 12.30 Pacific game. And that brings us to our Wendy's Weekend Wake Up, brought to you by Wendy's Breakfast, as Howell and King rank among the top three in the conference and touchdowns responsible for. King also leads the ACC with 70% of his team's yards gained. And this is a game with major New Year's Six implications. And, Tom, uh, perhaps a deciding factor will be how UNC handles the Hurricanes' pass rush. How did that defensive front become so destructive? 
Well, they do a wonderful job, Wendy, of creating opportunities for their best players. Most notably, number 15, Jalen Phillips. Their edge pass rusher usually lines up in the boundary. Let's take a look at some tape here and watch what they do to set him up. He loves the inside pass rush. So initially, they're going to set the front to slant to the field and give him a two-way go. He can either rush to the outside or rush to the inside. One-on-one -on -one mismatch. Look at him here. They got two defensive ends. He's a defensive tackle. They rotate the other defensive tackle to the right so he draws the double team. Now you got a one-on-one -on -one with an edge speed rusher against an offensive guard. You've got no chance. Same thing happens here. We've got a little bit of a stunt up front between the tackle and the end. What does it do? It gives him his inside pass rush, which he loves. Miami does a great job of identifying those mismatches. And if North Carolina can't run the football, EJ, and you, they start pinning their ears back and coming after him, could be a long day for the offensive line in uh, North Carolina. Yeah, it really could be, Tom. And I, I think Jalen Phillips and Quincy Roche, those guys are some of the best, not just in the ACC, but in the country. You talk about De'Eric King, a quarterback that obviously came over from Houston, done a great job and been a huge spark for this Miami football team. I really think he's a large reason why they're in the top 10 right now as far as rankings. He does a great job on third down. He doesn't panic. He understands the situation. I think Coach Rhett Lashley does a great job of teeing him up with some of the play calls. But he, this play actually right here versus cover zero against NC State, it was actually to win the game, but it was like third and eight, third and seven. And usually defenses will bring a hard blitz like that, and they did. And De'Eric was able to understand what was going on. He banged the slant, and I think Mike Harley Jr. Took it, out to the, took it to the house for a touchdown. So I think that's where they have the advantage over UNC. UNC still has to learn to you know, play a little bit of better situational football. They weren't able to do that a few weeks ago versus Notre Dame. So I think that's where Miami has the edge. You know, one thing I agree with you wholeheartedly about, uh, EJ, is the marriage between Rhett Lashley's scheme and Derek King's skill set. That has been a perfect recipe for Miami offensive success. Gentlemen, listen, I, I will say this. I appreciate it. And the next time I ask you to rank the top five college quarterbacks, I'll just say the top five or every quarterback in the game, whichever you prefer. Uh, either way, though, we appreciate it. Have a great afternoon. We'll see you tomorrow.